0: Thanks so much, everyone. Thank you. Well, last week, or was it the week before last week? Time flies very quickly. As you know, I was over in Scotland at the conference that we attend at Creef, and one of the, the guys who was over there for the first time um, was a guy, Andy Downey, who's a minister down in Castle Welland and Leitrim congregations, a really good lad. I know he's a friend of yours, Ben. We'll have to get you over to Creef as well, lad, and uh, get you as part of the part of the fun there. but um, he, he, he was telling me about how he loves to go across the road to Welland Park. And what an amazing place to live when your manse is just across the road so that all the time he takes his kids across, I think his wife, she runs around the lake, but he said he just kind of walks along and brings the, the kids there. And if you ever go down to Castle Wellen, you'll see the as I think, it's the biggest maze in Ireland or in the UK or something like that. But when we lived down in that part of the world and we were regular visitors to Castle Wellen and to the park, it was under construction, which meant that the maze was incredibly easy to do because even our kids, our oldest ones at that stage, Andrew and Sarah, were tall enough that they could see over these wee tiny hedges, and point you in the direction to get right to the middle and out again. But as the years went on, towards the end of our time living in Southdown, the hedges had grown up to their full size above our height, and that's a totally different proposition when you're right in the middle of that maze, and especially if you're kind of claustrophobic and Agrophobic and all the kind of phobics that I am, and you're in the middle of it, it, it's a bit of a scary place to be. And we know that in life, it can be a bit of a scary place to be. It can be so tough navigating our way through this life and this world as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, how should we live? How should we act as followers of Christ? As we ask that question and seek to answer that question this evening, we understand that the Lord Jesus always understood that the ultimate reason why the Father had sent Him into the world was to be a sacrifice for us. He said of Himself that the Son of Man came to give His life as a ransom for many. And tonight as we come to this particular part of John's gospel for the first time, we see Jesus knowing exactly what lies ahead, understanding that He had now come to the key moment of His ministry, and that this key moment required His death, and then following that death, ultimately, He would return to be with His Father in heaven. And just before He returned, He had some really important things to say to His disciples. In the coming weeks, we'll think in a lot of detail about the things that He said, but just for a few moments, if we look more generally at what it was that He was leaving them with, what was He speaking to his disciples in those final days leading up to his death, and indeed in that period between his resurrection and his ascension into heaven where he returned to be at his Father's side. Well, if you search through Scripture, you see that one of the things that Jesus was bringing to his disciples was comfort. He was speaking words of comfort to people who were really struggling to come to terms with the circumstances that they found themselves in, who were really struggling to come to terms with what they were hearing from the Lord Jesus. In fact, at this point where we read tonight in John's gospel in chapter 13, they couldn't quite believe, they they couldn't fully take in that Jesus was talking about His death that it had come to this point. And in the course of all of this talk about the death of Jesus, in the following chapter from the one that we read tonight, John 14, if you look at that chapter for a moment, Jesus tells them not to be afraid. He explains that He is going to the cross, and then via the cross, He will return to be with His Father, and in that context He talks about preparing a place for them. And be sure that the cross is the location that He has in mind, that the ultimate way in which the Lord Jesus was preparing a home for His disciples, for those who had put their trust in Him and who will then put their trust in Him, was through the death that He was going to die for them. And the message of comfort that He brings in John chapter 14 can be summarized. It reaches its pinnacle in verse 27. If you look at that one verse where Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And those are words that I have the privilege of of speaking to people in all kinds of painful and difficult circumstances, not least to people who have lost a loved one and who are feeling so much the heartache of that loss. But they are words for all disciples at all times, and maybe tonight, even unknown to those around you, you are in need of this kind of comfort, and so I ask you tonight, Do you know this kind of peace, the peace that is described there, a peace beyond anything that this world can offer or fully understand? Be sure of this, that that peace is found in Christ alone. It is found through turning to Jesus. So in these days, in these final words that He's speaking to His disciples, Jesus brings them words of comfort but then He also brings them a commission. He leaves His disciples with an important job to do. These are people who have found true life in Jesus, and now they're to share the good news about Him with others. So, look at the words that Jesus speaks to His disciples right before He returns to be with His Father in heaven. This is now following His resurrection and just before His ascension at the end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, and we read what we describe as Jesus' great commission. Matthew 28, 19, He says, "'Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything.'" I have commanded you. And we should be sure tonight that this is not a commission that was limited to those who who physically, who audibly heard those words of Jesus spoken on that occasion, but rather this is a task for all believers, and it is a commission. It is not an optional extra And so, if you're a a disciple of Jesus here this evening, do you take this commission? Do you take what it is that Jesus is calling you to do here seriously in your life? What steps are you taking individually and through your involvement in the life of this church to bring about the fulfillment of this great commission? But then the other thing that the Lord Jesus leaves His disciples towards the end of His earthly ministry is a command. And just before we come to that specific command, which we have read together tonight in John chapter 13, let's note, first of all, that the word that Jesus uses here is that word command or commandment. And many people in our churches today might feel a little bit uneasy about talk of commands or commandments or law. And they might ask, is the gospel not all about Jesus setting us free from that? In Christ, are we not free of observing binding laws as we live in the Spirit? And yes, of course. We understand from the gospel that the Lord Jesus came to set us free. But Jesus was comfortable here in saying to His disciples a new command. That is a binding order. It is not for His disciples an option. It's not a suggestion. It's not an aspiration. It's not a target. No, Jesus says to them and says to us who follow Him and love Him, this is what you must do. And so, what is this command? Well, look again with me, please, at John 13 and verse 34. And He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you so you must love one another. And what we can say of this command of the Lord Jesus tonight, first of all, is that it is a simple command. The the great New Testament scholar, Don Carson, and there is, believe me, if you know anything about Don Carson, or you ever attempt to read anything that Don Carson has written. A little bit of an irony in this particular scholar saying this, but Don Carson says of this command that is given by Jesus, he says the new command is simple enough for a toddler to memorize and appreciate. We could put that to the test here this evening, maybe. But then he continues, it is profound enough that the most mature believers are repeatedly embarrassed at how poorly they comprehend it and put it into practice. And you see, that's the thing about this command that the Lord Jesus gives us. Please do not confuse simplicity with easiness. Don't imagine that because this command is easy to understand, that therefore it is no problem putting it into practice in our lives. The command is to love one another. And how many of us who love and follow Jesus can say tonight that we do this well? Is this the case in our church and our congregation in Connor? Is it a place where people looking on can say of this congregation, of this fellowship of God's people in Christ, they love one another? It's told of Tertullian, who was one of the the early church fathers, a prominent figure in the early church, that Tertullian, he wrote about how the pagans regarded Christians. And for pagans, who ultimately were, were following a form of religion that was all about self, that was all about what you could get out of life, blew their minds the way in which the Christians acted towards each other. So, the pagans looking on at Christians, looking on at Christian churches, would say of them, see how they love one another, and they were saying it with amazement. And I remember that my home minister, Brian Moore, used to note that today, as he would have described it then in the 20th century church for us tonight, in the 21st century church in Northern Ireland, most people are looking on at churches, and they're sneering, and they're saying with derision, see how they love one another in that place. Jesus leaves us with a simple command, but don't underestimate how tough it is to live it out. And for us, in life together here, in life in fellowship in Connor, we know that it can be really difficult to live out this commandment at ground level, day in, day out. It is a simple command. And then we see that it is an important command, important even beyond the fact that this instruction comes from the one Who is our master, the one who we should obey, Jesus Christ? Because if we commit our lives to Jesus, it is not enough to speak of Jesus as being our Savior, as wonderful a Savior as He is. And we say of Him, Hallelujah, what a Savior! He's rescued us from sin, He's brought us out of darkness into His wonderful light. He is truly our only comfort in life and in death. But we must also proclaim Jesus as our Lord, the Lord of every aspect of our lives and every aspect of this church. That should be enough to enable us to see the importance of this command, the one that it's coming from. But beyond that, there are a couple of really important reasons why we should live out this command to love one another. The first is that living in this way links us in with Jesus. And as such, it is a demonstration to us personally that we belong. To the Lord Jesus Christ. It is, if you want to describe it in this way, a form of, of assurance for us when we are able to look at our life and see ourselves increasingly keeping this command that our Lord and Savior Jesus has given us. What is it that makes this command new? That's what Jesus describes it as, a new command. Because if we think about the Old Testament, if we think about that that part of the Scriptures that would have been the Scriptures that Jesus and His disciples were familiar with and used and which Jesus quoted so often, well, we read there, don't we love the Lord your, your God with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself? Well, what makes... This command that Jesus gives different? Is that called to love each other in the way that Jesus has loved us? Because look at the phrase in verse 34 that links that double instruction to love one another. The linking phrase is from Jesus as I have loved you. And we'll come back to that in just a moment, but this is Ultimately, a call to Christ likeness, and what a challenge that is. Is your life resembling Jesus? But it's also important because keeping this command shows others that we belong to Jesus. It's not only of benefit and assurance to us. It is a demonstration of the gospel to others, as Jesus states in the following verse, in verse 35. He continues, by this, that is, by keeping this new command, everyone will know that you are my my disciples if you love one another. Now, some of you have to wear a uniform during the week, at least a few here tonight, have to wear a school uniform. This is not a school uniform I'm wearing tonight, by the way, despite some very um, uncharitable comments that were made after a Sunday evening service by a few people. But some of you will wear a school uniform. Some of you will wear a work uniform this week that identifies who you belong to, who you work for. But what makes people recognize that we are Christians, that we are people who belong to Christ? It's not the way that we look. It's not any particular uniform that we wear, despite what we may expect people to wear if they're followers of Jesus. It's not about that at all. No, it is the way in which we love one another. And that love can be shown in, if you want to describe it in this way, formal or organized ways, and it should be within the church of Jesus Christ. I think of one example of that tonight, a warm place that we have up and running on Tuesday mornings. And it's great to see the volunteers involved in that and the the blessing that it is to them as well, and to see the people who are coming along, and if you like, in that organized way, the opportunity for people to love one another and to show concern for one another. It's a It's a great thing, and we've had opportunities even over this weekend, Men Alive, on Friday evening for people who belong to Jesus to love one another. So, there needs to be those organized, formal ways, but beyond that, there also should be those organic, those natural ways. Please don't think, as a disciple of Jesus, that you need to wait to receive instruction or permission from an elder or from a minister in order to love other people. That shouldn't be the case. That as you seek to get alongside believers here this evening, and as you seek to get alongside fellow believers this week, there are all kinds of opportunities to do that, an initiative that you can take in your own life. So, then this command is simple, simple to understand, but really challenging to live out. It's important because to live this out shows us that we belong to Jesus. It is a a demonstration to, to us that leads to assurance, and it is a demonstration to others that leads to them being brought to the gospel and being brought to find out more about Jesus. And given how important it is, the final point is really comforting, and that is that this command is possible. If you want to describe it in this way, it is doable. You know, sometimes people say that to us. Maybe you get people, bosses and work, who say, you know, this thing here, is this doable? Can you make this happen? This can happen, in our lives as believers, and in our corporate life as a church? You know, think about the nature of the Lord Jesus. Think about the love that Jesus has for His people, the love that He has for His sheep. We're about to see in this gospel, after all of these words are spoken, that ultimate demonstration of the extent of Jesus' love for His sheep that He goes to the cross for them, that He He gives up His life for them. And so, understanding this about Jesus, there is absolutely no way that the Lord would give us an impossible challenge, that He would ask us something to to that He would ask us to do something that is impossible for us to do. So, how is this doable? How is it possible to obey this new command of Jesus? Well, a couple of things. First of all, the help of the Holy Spirit, and we'll think much more about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives as the Lord Jesus teaches us about this in the course of these chapters. So, that will come more in the coming weeks. But for now, if you look again at the following chapter, John 14 and verses 15 to 18, And Jesus says there to the disciples, and He says to us who would follow Him, if you love Me, keep My commands, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another counselor to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him for He lives with you and will be in you I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So, the Holy Spirit is essentially bringing the very presence of Jesus into our lives. And the Lord Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit in terms of being a counselor or an advocate. And what He's really saying there, what He's literally saying there, is that the Holy Spirit is the one who comes alongside. So that sometimes you hear football managers, especially old school football managers, talking about the different ways in which various players need to be treated. And they say, you know, there are there are players, and by their nature, they need just a good talking to. They need a bit of a boot to get them going. But there are other players, and they're a different kind of character, and they need an arm put around him. You hear managers say that, you know, he had had a bad game and he needed an arm put around him. That in that sense, the Holy Spirit is putting an arm around us, is getting alongside the people of God in Christ. So, believer in Christ, are you seeking the Holy Spirit's work in your life? Indeed, are you displaying? Are you bearing the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Is your life one of love, of joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control? But this is doable not only because of the help of the Holy Spirit, as wonderful as that is, but also because of the example of Jesus Himself. And with this we finish. And that example of Jesus is one of servanthood. We remember that He is the suffering servant, that He is the King who came not to be served, but to serve. Indeed, if you look back at the beginning of this chapter, chapter 13, you see a very visible demonstration of that as the evening meal is in progress, when Jesus washes the the feet of His disciples. Tonight, do you have the heart of the servant king? Do you share the heart of the one who came not to be served, but to serve? And his example is not only one of servanthood, it is, and we end with this, an example of sacrifice. Remember that this command is given in the context of Jesus preparing His disciples for His death telling them what He must go through for them and for us. So, that if you look back into the, the previous chapter, uh, chapter 12 and verse 27, and He says there, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. And so he says, Father, glorify your name. And it brings us right to the heart of why the Lord Jesus came into this world, that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. Tonight, as we benefit from the sacrifice that he made for us, May we be quick to obey the new command that He gives to us, that we would love one another with the quality of the love that He has shown to you at the cross. Amen.